This is my body. This is my blood. Miracles of the Eucharist, Book 1. Saragossa, 1427, The Infant Jesus. Saragossa has been a city specially blessed by our Lord Jesus through his mother Mary and St. James the Apostle from the earliest days of our church. Miraculous events of the most unique kind have been attributed to Saragossa. St. James, a close relative of Our Lady and beloved by her, had left Jerusalem for Spain very soon after the ascension of our Lord into heaven. St. James and his disciples worked diligently to bring the faith to the people of Spain. He is the patron saint of Spain, and his major shrine, Santiago de Compostela, has been a major pilgrimage place throughout the centuries, second only to Jerusalem and Rome. Our Lord Jesus appeared to Our Lady in Ephesus, where she had gone with St. John the Evangelist, brother of St. James. Our Lord asked her to go with the angels to see St. James, who was in Saragossa at the time. She was to tell St. James that our Lord Jesus wished that he return to Jerusalem to be martyred. The tradition of the shrine, given by Our Lady in an apparition to Sister Mary Agreda, as written in the City of God, tells us that Our Lady was carried on a cloud by the angels to Saragossa during the night. While they were traveling, the angels built a pillar of marble and a miniature image of Our Lady. When Our Lady and the angels arrived at Saragossa, St. James and his disciples were deep in prayer. They saw the bright light of the entourage and heard the heavenly voices of the angels chanting hymns in honor of our Lord Jesus and his mother Mary. Our Lady gave the message of Jesus to St. James and added that before he was to return to Jerusalem, a church was to be built on the site where the apparition took place. The pillar and the image were to be part of the main altar. Special graces and protection will be granted the people of Saragossa in exchange for a pure devotion to our Lord and Our Lady. After the little church was built, Our Lady left with the angels. St. James, soon after, began his last journey into Jerusalem to be martyred in the name of Jesus. The people of Saragossa began immediately to celebrate Mass at the little church built by the angels and to venerate Our Lady through the image left there by her and the angels. Possibly the greatest aspect of this miracle is that the people of Spain were venerating the Mother of God under the title of Our Lady of Pilar for at least 12 years before she died. According to the tradition of Sister Mary Agreda, Our Lady was living in Ephesus when this happened. She was 54 years old. Also, according to the visions of Sister Mary, Our Lady died at age 67. So her appearance in Saragossa would have been 12 or 13 years prior to her assumption into heaven. This is the only apparition that we've ever heard of that took place prior to her death. The little church is still there in Saragossa. It has been built over by a much larger church. The miraculous image of Our Lady is there for the faithful to venerate. The pillar is still there. They are almost 2,000 years old. We give you this background to make you aware of how important Saragossa and the surrounding area is in God's plan. As we write of the Eucharistic miracle of Saragossa, 
we make mention of clusters of holy places especially chosen by the Lord over the years. In Zaragoza, there was the miracle of Our Lady of Pilar in 40 or 41 AD and the Eucharistic miracle in 1427. Near Zaragoza, there were two other Eucharistic miracles, one in Biluena in 1601 and another in Daroca in 1239, which we will tell about later. There is another place near Zaragoza where the Lord gave us a special miracle. Zaragoza is at one end of the Pyrenees Mountains. At the other end is a little town in France called Lourdes. We think we know the significance of Lourdes, but in the context of Eucharistic miracles, do we know how important the shrine to Our Lady at Lourdes is? A great deal of the cures that are credited to Lourdes happen during the procession of the Blessed Sacrament, or the blessing of the sick. This takes place every afternoon at 3.30 at Lourdes. We have attended these processions many times over the years. The sick are brought on litters and wheelchairs from the Grotto of Massabiel up to the front of the Basilica of the Rosary. The very last person to process is our Lord Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. He is carried to the front of the Basilica. First, all the sick are blessed and then the rest of the people. How many times at the raising of the monstrance for the blessing have we seen a wheelchair here and a litter there being rushed through the crowd to get the patient to the hospital? The pilgrims roar. It's a healing. It's a cure. If that's not a genuine modern-day Eucharistic miracle, nothing is. For these reasons, and many that the Lord has not revealed, we can say that Zaragoza and this area of the world is highly favored by the Lord and His dear Mother Mary. Because of the importance of this place, it has been a target for enemies of Christ over the centuries. Zaragoza has been under attack by Romans, Arians, and the savage fury of the Arab Muslims, which brings us to the time of the miracle. The Moors, or Arab Muslims, as we know them today, have been invaders of Europe from the days when the Romans fell. The Arabs ruled this section of the world for 700 years, and so there was, and is, a strong Arab influence in Spain. At the time of the Eucharistic miracle, in 1427, they were no longer in power in Spain, but they were still living there, barely tolerated by their Christian leaders. There was an extreme hatred by the Arab Muslims living in Zaragoza towards the Christians because they had unseated them from power. Against this background, we began the narrative of one of the most unusual Eucharistic miracles we have researched. There was a married couple living in the city whose marriage was very stormy. They argued about most everything. They could find nothing good to say of each other. It was almost as if they lived to torture each other. The wife complained bitterly to her friends about her treatment at the hands of her husband. The friends consoled her, but could offer nothing very constructive in the way of advice. On one occasion, when she was bewailing her outcast state, one of her friends suggested she go to a Muslim sorcerer in the town who could make a love potion which would make her husband return to the amorous way he treated her when they first married. 
She hesitated because of her Catholic upbringing, but not for very long. She was willing to investigate. She was not making any commitments. When she explained her plight to the Muslim sorcerer, he saw a great opportunity for himself in being able to desecrate and blaspheme the very heart of Christianity, the Eucharist. He was very cunning and the woman very gullible, so he led her along, saying he was not able to give her what she needed because he didn't have the proper ingredients to make the potion, but she fell each time for his bait, becoming more and more frenzied until she reached such a high pitch she was ready to kill for the potion. It was then that he told her if she were to bring him a consecrated host from the church, he could make her potion. Fear struck her heart. From her Christian background, she knew that this was not only wrong, but sacrilege. Whether the sorcerer had gotten hurt so worked up or her family situation was that hopeless is not known. We do know, however, that the next day she went to the Church of St. Michael in a deceptive attitude of piety. She went up to the altar to receive our Lord, then withdrew to a dark corner of the church, as if in prayer, to remove the host from her mouth. She placed it in a sack and left for the sorcerer's house. When she arrived, she opened the bag to find not the host, but a perfectly formed, beautiful little live baby. A bright aura surrounded his body. She was in a state of shock. This was more than she had bargained for. She showed the product of her treachery to the Muslim, who was bewildered. But his hate for Christ was stronger than his fear or confusion. He was still ready to go forward with his plan. He convinced her to take the baby home and burn it in a fire. She was then to carry the ashes back to the Muslim, who would make a potion which the wife would mix into her husband's food or wine. The wife, now obviously devoid of all reason, brought the baby home. She put it on a fire, tying it to a metal rod and turning it as she would barbecue a pig on a pit. The results were not at all what the lady expected. Instead of burning up, the child became brighter and brighter as he was turned in the fire. When the fire went out, the baby was not only not dead, but was brilliant in light. The Lord finally had his way. As she ran through the streets, holding the baby in her arms, great tears streamed down her face, tears of fear and repentance. She begged our dear Lord for forgiveness. When she arrived at the sorcerer's house, he was completely overcome by the events. He fell to his knees in fear and begged forgiveness from the God he had so hated, was so willing to blaspheme. He called to Allah, whom he now believed to be also the God of the Christians. The wife and the sorcerer, their attitudes now completely different than when they plotted the sacrilege, went to the cathedral in Zaragoza. The wife to confess her sins to a priest, the sorcerer in search of the vicar general of the diocese, to ask how he could receive pardon for his terrible sin. The account of the miraculous transformation of the host to a baby circulated the town like wildfire. The Archbishop Don Alonso Arbuelo was made aware of the incident. 
He was very weary. It sounded incredible, so he formed a committee to investigate this mystery. The fact that a Muslim was involved made him very suspicious. The baby could have been obtained by many means. It could have been kidnapped from a mother after she had given birth. With all his doubts, two things stood out as irrefutable proof that this was supernatural intervention. The baby had been put into a fire and was not burned. This in itself was miraculous. But another and possibly more important proof was that the baby was so illuminated. The archbishop and the committee could actually see that. They knew that the Lord had been working in their midst. They didn't know exactly what was going on, but they knew that they had to determine that this was truly a divine act. The baby was taken from the home of the unhappy husband and wife, and that Saturday, in solemn procession, the baby was transferred to the cathedral. There were, in the procession, all of the dignitaries of the city. There was the head of the cathedral, the head of the Church of Our Lady of Pilar, the clergy of all the religious orders in and around Zaragoza, as well as the secular priest of the area. The heads of the city marched in the procession, all the nobility and most of the commoners of the town. In short, just about everybody in town was there. At the very back of the procession, the archbishop under a canopy processed with the child on a golden plate. The child was placed on the altar of San Valero under heavy guard, but where the entire assemblage of Zaragoza could witness and venerate the miracle from heaven. The baby was kept there all day Saturday, and on Sunday morning, the Archbishop celebrated the Bodhi Mass of the Blessed Sacrament in honor of the Eucharistic miracle in their midst. During the offertory, as the Archbishop offered the gifts of bread and wine to the Lord, the child, gleaming more brightly than ever before, disappeared, and in its place the consecrated host reappeared. The archbishop knew that there was no need to consecrate this host. He had been consecrated by a power far greater than himself. He consecrated the rest of the host, and at communion he consumed the miraculous host. The results of the miracle were overwhelming. Needless to say, the woman was repentant and went on to live an exemplary life. She and her husband were reconciled not through witchcraft or black magic, but through divine intervention. The Muslim was converted. He changed from a vicious enemy of Christ and all things Christian to a firm worshiper of our Lord Jesus and a staunch defender of all things Christian, in particular things concerning the presence of our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. We, the people of God, were given a twofold gift. First, a unique miracle in which a consecrated host became a living, breathing human being, and then, at a time chosen by God, turned back into its original form again. Second, the brilliant light which covered the child. Devotion to the Eucharist became extremely strong. The people of Zaragoza have been known down through the centuries and are considered to this day defenders of the Eucharist. Artists have been inspired by the magnificent Eucharistic miracle to paint masterpieces which appear in all the churches of the area. A question arose as to whether the real presence of Jesus is present when, by miracle, 
a consecrated host turns into flesh or a baby, as in the instance of Saragossa. We go to the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas for the answer. He states, Under these new aspects, the body of Christ remains really present in sacramental form. We can also go to sacred scripture for inspiration. In Psalm 77, verse 15, we read, You are the God who works wonders. Among the people you have made known your power. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply, with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.